Welcome to Episode 8 of Get Off Our Lawn. This week, we're doing things a little bit differently, and we're talking to our first non-Masters athlete. In previous episodes, we've talked to folks who are games athletes. We've talked to folks recovering from surgery. We've done a member profile. And this week, because we talk a lot about how can a young coach coach a Masters athlete, I pulled in my coach, Cheryl Hargrove. Cheryl helped me get from about 2,500th place in the Open to about 590th place. Now, granted, my goal was to make the qualifier, but I'm not that good of a CrossFitter. However, I did do as good as I possibly could, and I learned a lot from the process. Cheryl's a good friend, and she knows how to coach. She knows how to get the most out of people. And we had a pretty good discussion uh, talking about nutrition talking about making sure you're a well-rounded athlete, and just generally talking about CrossFit. So if you have any questions for Cheryl, you can reach her at uh, Cheryl Fashow. That's Cheryl, F-A-S-H-O, on Instagram. She also is a coach for Outside the Box Fit. So that's outsidethebox.fit. They do uh, basically your driveway programming. So if you have a home gym or you have a few pieces of equipment at home, they put together programming for you. And she's also a coach locally at Sundown CrossFit. So Cheryl's a good friend. She's a great coach. And she does understand Masters athletes. So hope you enjoy the conversation. If you have any questions, just leave them in the comments. So hey, let's let's get started. I really appreciate your time on this. So let me give you let me give you a little bit of background here, Cheryl. Um, so I'm one of the administrators on CF Masters, which is a group on Facebook. We have 29,000 members now. And a lot of people um, are, we talk about Masters things. It's 35 and up now that the 35-year-olds are there. And, you know, I'm over 50. We talk a lot about what happens as you change, as you age and things like that. We just put out a podcast on mental health as well. And I wanted to talk to you because one of the things people tend not to think about or tend to be confused about is how can a young coach coach a master's athlete effectively? But um, maybe we can kick off with a little bit of background and, and would you like to tell us who you are? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, my name's Cheryl, obviously, Cheryl Hargrove. Um, I got started in CrossFit um, in college. So probably the time in which many masters athletes wish they had actually began CrossFit <laughs> because it is such a new sport that, um, you know, starting, uh, decades later in life is definitely has its trials and tribulations. Um, but yeah, so I started in college just because I worked at the gym as kind of a gym, gym rat and, uh, the trainers were doing it. So, um, I joined in got infected just like everyone else. Um, I wasn't going to school for anything health fit and fitness related, but they did have classes at uh, the John Wooden Center at UCLA Rec um, for people who wanted to become trainers and just learn a little bit more about physiology and, um, you know, things that were kind of within the realm of health and fitness. Um, so then studied a bit of that, non-related to my degree, came back home um, and it just so happened that uh, Jason, Jason's gym cross of Santa Clara was, had the most entertaining blog out of all of the CrossFit gyms that were local because he posted really funny, blurry pictures of people, had a bunch of grammar errors and stuff on his website. 
but the workouts looked fun from what I knew. So I just joined in and essentially fast forward to, you know, some years later, I'm at a different gym now coaching still, but, um, uh, started, I started in, in 2009 with CrossFit, started coaching in 2011, um, have um, been you know, part of programming, coaching development, um, starting a strength training program, so a powerlifting program. Um, I did do powerlifting at UCLA, so that was kind of where you know, everyone realizes they love the barbell. And we're all kind of barbell biased and we love being strong. So we all kind of go through our phases there. Um, but now I'm a mom. I still work in the CrossFit realm. I don't coach as much as I used to, but I definitely have learned a lot through, you know, coaching people since 2011 through now, lots of demographics, lots of ages, lots of prior health histories. Um, it's honestly really fun. It's kind of like a puzzle that never gets to be solved because you never get to meet everyone who has every different type of limitation or ability. Um, and it's, you know, you're, you're kind of always discovering new things of how, how you can effectively coach and communicate with people. So what does it take to be a coach? And I want to talk to you a little bit later on about some of the other stuff that you're doing. But one of the things, and I'm going to use myself as a guinea pig for this because, you know, we know each other and known each other for it's almost a decade now, if you can believe that. And, um, you coached me, uh, or you programmed for me privately for two plus years, I think. Yeah, I think it was like two and a half yeah. years. And it, this is a little inside baseball for folks and I tend not to do this on the podcast, but, um, you helped me a lot. You helped me a lot physically, obviously, but you helped me a lot emotionally and mentally. And it took me probably a year and a half into that two and a half years before I realized that you really were emotionally invested in my success. And it, you know, I started out thinking, okay, this is a contract and I, I, I adore you. You're an awesome person and I love working with you. But I was like, this is a contract and Cheryl's programming for me and teaching me things. But then it kind of dawned on me, you wanted me to win, you know, and, and succeed. And how, how, how does that work in? And how, how, is that your personality? Is that, is that what it takes to be a good coach? Um, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. It's really, you know, for, for lack of a better term, it's really just giving a shit. Like it's caring about people. Um, it's wanting, it's uh, part of it is having gone through it yourself, knowing what it feels like to succeed, what it feels like to fail. If you haven't gone through it yourself, you don't know the feelings of the highs and the lows. You don't know how great the highs are. And you don't know how low the lows are really to help people through it. But it's going through it yourself and then wanting that feeling of success for others. Um, I also think there is a little bit of an element that is intangible. Um, to kind of quote Pat Barber, who taught me a lot about coaching development and um, I still work with him today in a, in a few companies um, but his his test ultimately is do I want to have a beer with this person right like when it comes down to you know the number of new coaches that have gone through you know the places the, the places that I've been you know there's so many people that are interested there's so many people that are like I like CrossFit I want to coach right and then you know they kind of like especially they'll reach out like oh yeah I want to coach class you know and there's there is that intangible element of like do I want to break bread with them? Do I want to sit across the table and chill and hang out with them? And that's, you know, you don't have to have that to coach, but I think those coaches who are really that upper echelon have that intangible 
aspect that really is just kind of innate about them. And, and how much of that is ego? Because I could totally see it as in, I, I want this person to succeed because it shows that I'm a good coach. But is it different in that it's more, I want this person to succeed for themselves? Or how do you approach that? I think if you, if the person succeeds, it's like, akin to starting a business because you want to make money. The successful businesses out there are started by mission statement or they're started by some belief. And if you're starting a business for the sole fact of wanting to make money, probably not going to go very far. Um, so it's kind of the same feeling. It's, you know, it's, it starts with that feeling. It's wanting, it's genuinely wanting people to do better. Um, and I, you know, I have had clients who I am more emotionally invested than others. And I don't know, I don't, I don't think I give any more necessarily to that person than, than others, but, but they do better, you know, because I think there is a bit more of a connection there. Um, and then any other, how they do and how they succeed is just bonus. If they do really well and they happen to crack the top 200 and masters and go on to the next qualifying round, that's just an extra added bonus, but that's never necessarily what the goal is. It's never really to inflate my own ego really so so how do you approach it from a master's perspective or maybe do you approach it if you have two athletes one's 25 and and you know i was 48 when we started and finally in the 50 to 54 age group how do you approach the master's athlete differently or do you so i do approach them differently um kind of like i said earlier you know the teenagers now who are starting crossfit and doing it from an early age, and then fast forward to 35 years from now, are a very different masters athlete than yourself. Even having come from a competitive sports background with ultra distance running and triathlons, and even though you you were, and a lot of master athletes currently are at a very high level of fitness coming into it. Um, something's something in the brain, right? Something, something, something a little wrong with all y'all. <laughs> Just kidding. But um, it it's definitely different because the movements that we are introducing with Olympic lifting and with uh, the higher complexity gymnastic movements require a lot more mobility than you can acquire within a year, two years, to even three years. They just kind of take decades of work. Um, so what I do in general is a more prolonged warm up for masters athletes. Um, when you get your base heart rate elevated above, you know, into, into an aerobic level above 90 seconds, um, you know, the body, um, secretes synovial fluid, right? So it just helps lubricate. Now, whether or not anatomically that happens at the same rate for everyone is different. However, a lot of masters athletes are just like, I need more time to get warm, right? Just by feedback. So typically warmups, um, and you know, low intensity warmups doesn't need to be anything crazy. Um, I will do usually 10 minutes or plus, whereas with an athlete who is, you know, in the twenties or so we can go with a five to seven minute, you know, quick warm up and then kind of get into things. Right. Um, so usually 10 minutes or more for a warm up, um, and then a lot more mobilization, um, you know, in terms of warming up the areas with active range of movement, whether we're doing, you know, a loaded kind of windmill holding, stabilizing a load above head, or even just kind of a dynamic body weight movement, or even just, you know, things like banded stretches. Um, incorporating all those elements is a big part of warming up a master's athlete um, that I've noticed that that has been successful. 
Um, and then another thing I really pay attention to is shoulder volume. Obviously, you don't want to program too much of the same, you know, movement pathway. You don't want to hinge too many days in a row. You don't want to pull, squat, etc. And you kind of want to mix up those volumes and those loads. Um, but I do know that the shoulders, especially because of the increased range of motion that we're asking for, shoulders do take a beating. So, you know, usually if we do any day with two days back to back of shoulders, I take a next day where it's, if we use shoulders, it's in a very passive way or not at all. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, that's one thing that can take a beating and um, lead to injury pretty easy. It's overstrained. So in other words, we're beat to shit and you're just trying not to beat us to shit even more. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Something, something though, something like something in our minds to do what we do. Something likes it though. That's the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, we, we know each other, you know, me, you know, I mean, especially after two years of daily updates from me on how I did my workouts and and every once in a while, you would throw in some 30-minute long, uh, you know, 1K row, 1K ski erg, uh, go run 800, um, maybe a little barbell in there, maybe not. But it, And you would even note it. You're like, here's your brain clearing workout. Just go be aerobic. And that's, that's you know, I'll, I'll use myself again, is that I needed that. I needed to be aerobic every once in a while because that's that's my wheelhouse. But it's also the place where I kind of clear out the cobwebs. And how, so when we first started working together and you had me do like every single named workout, test my maxes, just kind of get a baseline, which some people were like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy and a lot of volume. I liked it because I needed to know where I was at and I didn't know where you were going to take me. So do you do that with, everyone or and i'm talking private training do you try and baseline them or or was that more just because you know i'm have a psychosis around numbers um baseline establishing baselines is something i, I would take everyone through so masters athlete open athlete anyone truly um th that has been doing CrossFit for at least a year should be able to establish those baselines. And then what I try to get is an overall depiction of your cardiorespiratory endurance, your gymnastic um, ability, your stamina there, um, and your ability to move a bar, whether it's light, whether it's moderate, or whether it's heavy. Um, so yes, and, and you know, along with just the benchmark girls that everyone's kind of acquainted with, like Fran and Barbara and Angie and, you know, Helen, um, some of the testing too that we did is like, you know, what is your 20 deadlifts for time at 225 or, you know, cycling 30 thrusters at 95, 65, um, things like that, that also create a snapshot of your cycling efficiency. Um, and especially with movements that, you know, maybe a little bit more compound multi-joint, like say for instance, a thruster versus a deadlift. Um, you know, if you're going as hard as you can, but you know, your cycle time on that thruster is higher than I would expect it to be. Um, it shows me some things like, you know, how quickly you can move. Maybe you have limitations through overhead mobility, your hip mobility, your ankles, et cetera. So, um, there's, there's things that, you know, I can tell with, just those diagnostics, even if we haven't, like I've seen you move, but even if I haven't seen you move, 
I can tell through those types of, of testing that I do with everyone. It's okay. You can say my thrusters suck. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not six two and really lanky for no reason. I mean, I'm, height is also important. In that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got better, but I will never be a sub four Fran athlete. I mean, I can do pull-ups till the cows come home, but thrusters just kill me. And, and you're right. I mean, I can rep out deads, but my mobility just sucks in, in the thruster world. And I guess that brings up the question of what do you do for folks that when you analyze their baseline and you see that, you know, they're, they're a little bit slower on a thruster and how do you kind of flesh out, um, the, the, the train, the training, and you can even take it back to me where, you know, cause we work together and I, I remember it and I just went through all the training spreadsheets. How do you analyze what you need to set up for people? Well, when it comes to mobility, I try to, if we're going to do like, say, we'll just use the, the thruster again, for example. Um, one thing that's really important in the way I will lay out a plan is making sure that movement's really warm. Um, I'm sure you've done workouts where you're like, oh man, I got warm like halfway in. And if I was that warm when I started, I would have been better. Right. So making sure you're very warm with lots of warm up sets is important kind of in planning whatever the movement is. Um, but then that's kind of in, in, a, in one session. Right. Um, but if we're looking at more of like a, a macro view or a bigger view of thing, um, I honestly just try to program in at least two to two days a week where you're doing um, more of a static mobilization, um, oftentimes after the workout, depending on what we're training, right? So it's kind of before or after, um, where you're just like, just letting your body go through banded stretches or something where you're doing one minute or longer of, of certain types of stretches or holds. Um, because the more your body can get into those positions, the better, ideally in a perfect world, you are able to try to stretch or mobilize that area four to five times per day for like 30 seconds, right? Little sh short little spurts here and there, right? So to, so it's the point where you feel like you're, you're kind of warm all day and you can maybe, you know, hit a workout. The fact of the matter is, is that that's not the case or that's not reality for most people who have to sit in a desk, have to sit in a car, have to be confined to a conference room. So the next best thing is just to have you in those positions for an extended period of time. My goal is a couple of weeks of that, a couple of days of that per week, just because any more than that, people tend to get bored. And even though it's good for you to do more, I also want you to have fun. Because <laughs> if you're not having fun and you're not liking what you're doing, you're not gonna do it. So it's kind of like a fine line. Um, so yeah, so a couple of days a week, and then um, where it's longer, once that you know movement improves, whether or not, you know. I get feedback if the movement improves or I see it as in I see the person. Um, then those, you know, those more uh, mobility emphasis type days will go down to once per day, uh, once per week. Um, and then, and then from there it's just maintenance, right? It's working on, on um, those mobility exercises just the day of when you're doing the workout. Gotcha. So you coach in multiple modalities and, and um, modalities is the wrong term, but you're a private coach, you coach in classes, you're, you know, um, I don't know if you're, you're still level one, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're level one trainer at uh, sundown CrossFit and you also write online programming as well. What's the difference? So you mean the difference in programming or the difference in like tactics? I kind of leave it open most of the time. That's, that's yeah. the whole point here. When you, yeah, when yeah. you look at this, 
as a coach, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, yeah. Do you have an athlete in mind for each of those when you walk around inside of a class? Is that different? And, yeah. you know, how do you approach those three things? Because they are very different ways. And, and maybe you can kind of tell us what you're doing now with the online stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. So coaching someone remotely, um, and everyone that I coach remotely, I, I like to know who they are. Um, and I'd like to have seen them move. Um, if I can't see them move or sorry, if I don't see them in person, then I have them send me videos so I can, um, how they move. So I, I like to have snapshots. So someone who I coach remotely, I, I treat that more as almost like a therapy. Um, I almost treat them like I treat my nutrition clients where the relationship is very much mental. Um, it's giving people a snapshot because people I'm, I'm training remotely, you're doing it alone, right? So you don't have that element of the class getting you through the workout. You don't have the element of the coach getting you through the workout. You're just there with you and your lonesome. So, you know, someone that I'm doing online programming for, I try to give you as much knowledge of the why behind what we're doing so that you have a roadmap of the purpose. Um, some people, I, it's the goal is like yourself where it's like, you know, you want to place the certain way in the open. So I give you a roadmap of where we're going to go. Some people are, don't necessarily have those macro goals and they're just like each month. I'm like, okay, this is our focus. This is our focus. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why just so it kind of keeps it fresh. Um, so yeah. So Online personal programming is really just, it's a, it's a much more personal relationship and it is kind of like therapy. Like you're just kind of getting to know someone on a different level. Um, when it comes to classes, for me, I, I try to treat that as that person's favorite hour of their day. I know that so many times people at nighttime, they'll go home, they'll look at the workout, they'll get all excited, they'll be at work, they'll think about it, they'll post on the Facebook group about the workout or how they felt from yesterday. And class, and I've used this, this um, analogy a lot, but classes, it's like cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. You know, it's like, it's, it's literally someone's favorite hour. It's their me time. So I try to make it fun. Um, I try to give people at least one thing to think about, whether they're doing something right or whether it's feedback on something to improve every day. Just give, get touch points with every single person. Um, and, you know, just kind of be there, just kind of be there to keep the wheels turning. Uh, and make them want to come back. When it comes to um, the online programming that I work with, um, it's uh, one of the companies is named Outside the Box. So we create programming for people who are at home, um, and it's it's like it's similar to you know online programming remotely like we did. However, these people don't necessarily have the ability to pay for upper echelon of personalized programming. So they're buying into a community that's online similar to a class. Um, so it's generalized programming, but the people that we program for may not have like the most fitted home gyms, like your amazing pad. <laughs> a lot of times they just have like a wall ball, a barbell, right? Or maybe they'll have like a rower in like a jump rope. Um, so there really the tactic is to try to lower the, the barrier to entry as much as possible by making workouts that we can modify um, making workouts that are fun because just like people like yourself are training by themselves, if it doesn't look fun, you're not going to do it. Um, and then also too, you know, Taz, Taz Barber who programs, she also does a really good job of, you know, making workouts fun, but also having workouts that are well-rounded. So it's really hard to get elements of strength, skill and endurance at home. Um, but, but kind of varying things up as much as possible in terms of the stimulus. You're not just doing 
30 burpees, 30 burpees, 50 air squats, five rounds every time. Right. Cause that's just, that's the same kind of stimulus over and over and over. Um, you know, it's about kind of trying to find a different, a way to achieve different stimuli within the same setting and in pretty minimal setting at that. So to answer your question for the, the home gym community that is part of our group programming, it's make it fun, but it's also make it easy to fit into the day. It's usually people have like 20 to 30 minutes, um, you know, not like a typical master's, master's athlete who's in a gym and, you know, working on things for an hour plus. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of different people out there and they're all trying to get the same get the same thing. And that's just kind of fit in, uh, fit, fit in fitness where they can. I find it kind of interesting because that's a very wide spectrum of what you're doing. (laughs) I mean, and it, I can imagine it makes it fun because, you know, you've got these deep clients that you work with, you've got these online clients that you work with, but I can, I can assume that not every coach is going to be able to cross that spectrum per se. Why do you, why are you able to cross that spectrum? Oh man, you know, I, gotcha. I know that's a tough one. I don't know. I think it's because I want to, I'm just interested in it. Like I, I, uh, I've been, I've kind of been in the shoes of each of those places. I started out in a group atmosphere, just like the, the CrossFit classes. I started there. Then I did more personalized competitive training, right. Um, you know, regionals teams for four years. Um, and you know, that's a very different mindset. Sometimes I was training with the team. Sometimes I was by myself. Sometimes I wanted to do classes, but I knew I had to do my team training by myself and hit it in the corner, staring into space for an hour, an hour and a half. So I know what that's like. Um, But you have that goal that drives you. So it doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to do something for fun. You're going to do it because you need to. And then now I know, you know, I I get to train an affiliate. Uh, I go to Sundown CrossFit, you know, probably four to five times a week, but I can't make it in. I train with my dad uh, at their house and, you know, I do the garage gym programming because it's kind of the only thing that keeps me sane as a new mom (laughs) and I need it. (laughs) So, you know, if my kid's napping, my dad and I can get a half an hour in just with some dumbbells and a wall ball or, you know, whatever we got here. And so I think it's because I've kind of done it all and experienced it all. And therefore I know what I can offer in terms of advice. Well, let's talk about your dad and I'll just let you know if you, if you don't want to, I'll edit it out. That's totally fine. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah. Hell of a success story there. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously your dad knew you were doing CrossFit for years. He shows up at NorCal. How'd you get him in? And, and can you give us a little bit of background on that? Cause I, I know it cause I've seen it. I met your dad, really cool dude. Um, where, where did you, where have you gotten him to? And obviously he's gotten himself there as well, but where, where's he at? So he, um, retired and so he's, he's known I've been in, and he couldn't be any prouder in terms of, you know, me managing a gym, me being in CrossFit competitive team. Um, you know, my pictures are always on his desk, right? So it's always his goal to, to do CrossFit. Um, and so, and he's kind of that person, he'll work hard and just kind of put his head down and just like beat the pavement, you know, he'll just do it. Right. Um, so when he retired, he said he would start classes. Um, and I was actually pregnant at the time. So it was perfect because I was scaling workouts. He was scaling workouts. Um, so he, he came into the gym. 
Um, we went to classes together and I just really helped modify things. And I took the classes with him. I wasn't coaching them. Um, and you know, he started out very mobile. Hamstrings are super tight. Thoracic was super rounded and it still kind of is to an extent, but at least he's a bit stronger in that regard. Um, he couldn't get on a rower without like the first time he tried to get on a rower, he actually fell over because he lost his balance. He couldn't reach the handle. Um, I remember trying to do Samson stretches. There's no way that was going to happen. He had to hold on to um, one of the rig poles, one of the rig uprights. Even the most basic warm-up element, you wouldn't think people would need to scale. And he had he literally had to scale everything. Um, he was about 225, and he's 5'8". So he, he packed on a good amount of weight. Um, fast forward to, you know, consistency, coming into the gym, coming in with me, and having a really good attitude. Uh, he now, so he very quickly dropped like about 20 pounds. Um, he now is 40 pounds down. So he's about 185. Um, he was on, um, he was pre-diabetic. So he was, he had high A1C numbers. So he now is no longer pre-diabetic. He was on, um, blood pressure medications. Um, he had those within six months and then now he's completely off of them. Um, his cholesterol is down. He's still on some cholesterol meds because his family does have a high history, um, just, you know, genetics. Um, but basically all the numbers have, have improved. Even, even test, uh, even, um, he had his testosterone and estrogen numbers tested and there were some kind of, you know, other things due, due to medication there, but his testosterone numbers increased estrogen decreased. So there's a lot to be said with how much he's improved. Um, you know, obviously we all know that people get PRs and lifts, they get faster, they get stronger, they get more able, um, they can do jump roping when they couldn't before, but a lot of the underlying markers that you can't see from the surface, um, just all dramatic, dramatically improved. How old is this guy? He's, uh, actually he's going to be 69 in, in a week. So he started CrossFit at like 67 he, yeah, years he's old. 67. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. The, the mark, I mean, I, I Obviously, we got a master's focus in this group, and we got a bunch of competitive folks, and we got a bunch of folks that are newbies and folks that are thinking about things. But this dude's 67, and and like you said, he wasn't even getting into a Samson stretch, and now he can do that. And your son is year and a half now, two year years old, year and a half. Oh, I know, shit. right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember when you first told me, I was like, I was like, oh wow, you know, and now all of a sudden he's year and a half old. Um, your dad can probably get down on the floor with play with him. 100%. That, that is honestly probably more important than a snatch PR or something like that. It, this is life. Exactly. Exactly. And is he showing up? I mean, is, is he still fired up? Is it like, okay, I got to just get this done or how, how's his attitude about things? So funny story. <laughs> he, so he just completed the first CrossFit open and last year I, he did the workouts, didn't sign up. Um, this year I made it my goal to have him sign up and he kind of downplayed it when I first signed him up. Um, and you know, he didn't submit a score. I did it for him. I kind of actually, I signed him up like the Monday that the 20.1 submission was due. I said, Hey dad, by the way, I just signed you up. I can submit your scores for you. Don't worry. I just want to do this for you. So he's like, okay. All right. So then I, I submitted his scores for him the next week. This is actually kind of it was kind of sad, but something good came out of it. The next week, we had an issue. We submitted his score on Monday, 
and then there is an issue with it. I think like maybe with, you know, maybe cell phone fat fingers, we accidentally withdrew the score. So basically we put it in, it didn't get validated. So we didn't have a score. So then, you know, I talked to him about it. He kind of played it off. Like he didn't care too much. And then the next week for 20.3, the second he finishes the workout, he inputs it. He goes, <laughs> oh, I did it. I want to make sure I have my score in. Every single week thereafter, He's checking the leaderboard to see where he finishes in his percentiles. And I calculated his percentile on the second one, you know, based on where he finished. I was like, okay, if you, you know, if it was input, this is where you would be, right? Every single week after that mistake, he was checking, he's looking at it. I caught him. He was, he was staring at his phone on the counter and he was looking over something. So I was like, what are you doing? And then he looks, I look at him, he's looking at his phone at his standings and he goes, I'm pretty consistently 18th percentile. <laughs> and then this last week, 20.5, he's every day he's scrolling through his standings and he goes, look, I'm 60th percentile. Look, I'm 50th percentile. And I think he finished around 50th percentile on the last one. I said, dad, that means you beat like 250 guys out there. Like, how do you feel? So um, long story short, he's as fired up as ever. He loves it. He not only loves, I mean, you know, the community aspect is, you know, a really big driving factor for him, but, you know, he is so enthused and excited when he can do something he couldn't have done before. Obviously the open helps illuminate that, right? When we're held to a standard, um, when we're trying things we wouldn't normally have tried, trying weights we haven't tried, trying movements. Um, but he is very motivated to come in and it, it is, I think doing what we do, we all kind of, we, we like that high of just being in the gym. Um, achieving something, uh, whether we achieve it or we don't, obviously we get workout endorphins. Um, but yeah, I think that the motivation, the motivation is definitely there. And especially when, you know, he's able to pick Jared up and carry him around when, you know, before that would have probably been an impossible. I am amazed and it's awesome. It is awesome because, um, as much as I try and be just a fitness person these days, uh, I did go back to a CrossFit box because I need a rabbit. I need to chase people. It's just in my DNA. And 20.5, I actually joined. I joined uh, CrossFit Almaden right as 20.5 came around. And I was like, all right, I'll just I'll show up. And I was even thinking about not showing up on Friday. But all right, fuck it. I'll, I'll show up. And I did okay. Um, I haven't been going intense. But then I start looking at the leaderboard. I'm not registered, but I'm like, oh, what my what would my score have gotten me? You know, and I'm just it it is a sickness in a certain way of just like where do I fit? Where do I rank? And personally, that's why I love the open, and that's why you know you've seen my spreadsheets. It's like I want to know you know where did I fit? Where did I not fit? Where did I fit across the board? Um, speaking of where you fit, so um, I've seen you before you were on the regional teams and you were a coach and then you became the gym manager for uh, NorCal CrossFit Santa Clara. Then you were an alternate on the regional team. I mean, that was the team that had Miranda and Jason and Pat and uh, Taz. I mean, they were fifth place. I mean, this is a, this is a badass regional team. I'm sorry, games team, games team. And, and you were, you know, you were sitting there ready, ready for the go if you needed to be there, which meant your fitness level was insane. You have transitioned more into being a mom and doing some more coaching stuff. You're still fit as hell, obviously. Where are you at with CrossFit? What has it done meant for you over these last almost 15 years now? Picking up CrossFit when I did when I was 19 
was probably the best thing I could have done for my confidence, my sense of self-worth, my sense of empowerment. Um, being a girl in college who never drank before getting to college, never partied, didn't do anything. Like I was pretty straight edge, not necessarily because I was against it. I just never did it. it. It would be really easy to kind of like go off the rails and just kind of it's in Los Angeles, like lose the sense of who you were. And I found it at such a time where, you know, yeah, sure you experienced college, but then I think I was much more assured with who I was because my sense of self-worth wasn't being as skinny as possible in the clothes that I wore. It was how I felt about myself and my abilities and being damn addicted, just getting better at the things that I felt were making me healthier. Um, and not necessarily even healthier, just, it's just, it's, it's fun to feel badass. Like that's kind of like, you know, that's kind of the, that's the nitty gritty. Um, you know, and obviously it evolves, right. It become, became an occupation. It became a passion project. It became a hobby, right. My outlet for competitive endeavors. Um, and now, you know, being a mom and having it not be so competitive, having it be, you know, having gone through injuries and realizing, okay, going, you know, hundred miles an hour, you know, every single day for months on end is probably not the best thing for you, right? We all kind of got to go through that. Um, my relationship with the CrossFit is great. It is my me time. It's my hour of the day where I can just focus on, um, you know, having fun. But I do have to say that it is also something now that I can see and understand why and how it helps women through things such as birthing, such as the postpartum period such as just getting older, a decade older, and your body feeling different because it has more wear and tear. Um, and I do see it as something that I want to implement in some form or another for the rest of my life, you know, and, and have it be a part of my day for mental and physiological reasons. So let me spin you back a little bit. Um, you did omit one of the most important things CrossFit brought to you, which is a life partner, but you know, <laughs> yeah my husband <laughs> yes this is true <laughs> um i haven't seen tj in a long time and i miss him he is a good good dude um and you probably know that by now mm -hmm. um one of the things that when we started working together was um i was really really focused on oh i need to get my my squat heavier and I need to clean more and i need to do all these things because one of the things i kept telling people was i I can help people in a triathlon world, like get to where they need to go. And I was, I was ignorant in a CrossFit world of, of I was top 20% in the open. And I'm like, I want to make the age group qualifier. I want to, I want to, that was, you know, my regionals. And I see arguments back and forth. Like, well, if you don't get to the games, does it matter? Yeah, it, it fucking matters. It is a goal. And you got me from there to 590th place from 2500th place to 590th place. And it's funny because, you know, we got there. I, I lifted the barbell, you found the holes and you filled them. Um, and I'm absolutely comfortable with not making it to the age group qualifier. I never will. It's just not my mobility and my body, but I feel like I gave it everything I had. And one of the things you said to me as we started out was CrossFit isn't about having a X back squat, 500 pounds, 400 pounds. It's about not having holes. And you worked me and I have to use me as an example 
because I remember what we did to improve a ton of things. Um, because of me and my shoulders, you never got me to handstand push-up proficiency because <laughs> I suck. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I got to consecutive ring muscle-ups, you know, up to 10 bar muscle-ups. I mean, we got to a hell of a lot better than I was, and you filled a lot of holes. I wasn't the best by any means, but I could see where I was just so much more proficient at everything. How do you go about that? How do you look at someone and go, okay, yeah, his clean needs to be heavier, but at the same time, you know, I need to work on his ring muscle-ups, or how do you juggle those things? Well... I am going to addendum what you said about your handstand push-ups. They definitely did improve. The one, the one thing that I think gets us all is, and it got me this last open, is doing handstand push-ups with a judge to their standards. You never know what it's going to be. You never know if it's going to be a box. You never know if they're going to measure it with your, your wrist or your foot or your nose or whatever, right? It's always an, a variable that you can't really predict. Um, so yes, but, uh, to get back to what you're saying, yeah, I, I will, I will step in right there and say, you're absolutely right. You got me a hell of a lot better on handstand pushups than I was. Cause I, I could barely, yeah, I could barely do one. I could finish Diane on my own time, uh, later on. Um, so yeah, got a hell of a lot better, but it is, if there's For a sure. hole, there's a, that's one of my biggest holes, but, um, I really, really became a more well-rounded CrossFitter. And you had a lot of holes for me to fill. Obviously, running was not my hole, and it's not an open activity anyway. Aerobics wasn't the thing. And you took me away from that for a long time because we had other stuff to work on. Um, how do you group things in terms of, okay, you need to work on strength, but you need to work on clean technique, and you got an hour and a half a day to do that? What's your mental process on that? So kind of what you're saying about you know getting everything else better it's not necessary. like you're a specialist, right? You specialize in endurance and that's always your home base. Even if we neglected that for a three month period, your, your overall time trials wouldn't decrease to the rate where it would be a detriment to your fitness. So by specializing in the other two modalities, which is weightlifting and gymnastics, yeah, you probably took a little bit of a hit on that cardiorespiratory endurance, but you were at such a high level before that you're still better than the playing field, right? So, you know, for road mapping that out, you know, you're here with, with that. And then what it's about is bringing your lowest common denominators up. And, you know, really it's, the, the easiest way to answer that question is just by exposing you more. So making you lift more, making you do gymnastics more. Now, with a master's athlete, though, you have to teeter a fine line between introducing weaknesses, um, but also overtraining those weaknesses, especially when one involves a barbell, which is can be, you know, not only hard on your central nervous system if you're doing a lot of strength bias weightlifting, but also very mobility dependent if you're snatching, your overhead squatting, your full cleaning. Um, so, in terms of Figuring out programming, I like to try to make different emphases, emphases, emphasize <laughs> for the month, right? So one month we will do a clean or a snatch or whatever emphasis, right? Um, sometimes they're positional, sometimes they're, um, you know, one lift versus the other. But usually I make it kind of um, make it evident, you know, what we're going to be focusing on. 
And then from there, if we're going for heavy lifting emphasis, if it's strength biased, but we're not necessarily doing full lifts very frequently, then we can do a little bit more aggressive on the gymnastics side. You know, we can do a little bit more volume there. Um, if I'm doing more position work, um, where we're maybe not doing as much strength work, but we're working speed, working positions, whether they're the start positions, whether they're the finishing positions, um, then what I'll do is I'll focus on a little bit more gymnastic strength work. So we'll be working weighted dips, we'll be working weighted pull-ups, um, you know, things that are going to work, you know, not necessarily uh, capacity work, but to help kind of bring your strength reserve up um, to help complement, you know, not only the weightlifting, but also, you know, get your shoulder capacity better um, within those higher thresholds. So it's kind of like, you know, if one's focused on more, the other one's going to be a little bit lower and vice What are you working on now? Lots of different um, um, things. <laughs> so I work with Sundown CrossFit. I coach. Um, I do nutrition for individual clients and group um, group group programs uh, and kind of work with the gym in any capacity that I can because I miss it. <laughs> um, I also work with both of Pat and Taz Barber's businesses. So I work with Warm Up and Workout, which is their programming for affiliates and affiliate owners. Um, and I also work with Outside the Box, which is programming for people with home gyms. So it's kind of like, you know, different niches of CrossFit, the CrossFit realm of things. Um, and then I work with my friend Janet. She has a corporate wellness company called Blue Jay Health and Wellness. And she not only works with, you know, different companies um, to bring nutrition and group fitness classes, yoga, meditation to on-site to companies, um, but we also do a separate nutrition program as well. It's um, and then a couple, couple clients here and there um, in terms of personal programming and as well. So it's kind of a, my net is very, is cast wide. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, obviously no names, but I turned a friend on to you uh, um, for nutrition counseling. And it was fascinating because um, you showed her a different world in nutrition and it, it is a therapy thing. It's kind of crazy, but especially given our relationships with food and, and how we see food as a comfort, as opposed to a fuel source and things like that. Um, you truly changed her worldview and it's, it's really fascinating because yeah, she lost weight. She's not a CrossFitter. Um, I think you gave her some exercises and so forth, but what was it, or what do you look at, especially someone like my, our friend that wasn't a CrossFitter per se, um, but, but needed the nutrition help. Um, how do, how do you approach that? And, and, and they're a master's adult person as well, uh, set in their ways, their own relationships with food, their own family, et cetera. Well, I mean, it would be over, oversimplifying it to say that each person is their individual approach. Um, I, when I start working with someone, I really try to understand their, their mental state with food and their relationship with it and how they see it. An important indicator in that is knowing what previous quote diets they've done. And I use the word diets in the, you know, the fad sense, right? Um, because that also gives me information into their personality, type A, type B, you know, how they, how controlling they like to be in certain aspects of life. Um, and I also, I always kind of refer to my, my time with them as, informational in regards to 
what they should be eating and and making suggestions on things like food. But so much of it is more about how they feel, getting um, making changes into habits, understanding why they do what they do, understanding what food they like, understanding what their lifestyle is like, and understanding what what food means to them on an emotional level in t- terms of resentment, anxiety, um, fear even, and how they will use it as a crutch, whether it's for better or worse. So I try to splice in information that's sciencey sometimes just to kind of give people little nuggets, right? Like food for thought, you know, here's something new to learn today, right? About your body to inform you about, you know, what's going on, because I do truly believe that knowledge is power. Whether you're that type of person or not, I think it's helpful to just give those little nuggets here and there. Um, but so much of it is is support. You know, it's it's um, it's recognizing when they've done things well because most people that come to you, whether it's online programming or whether it's uh, whether it's nutrition, if they're coming to you for help. They have already gone through a dialogue in their mind of why they should or shouldn't do it. They have already weighed the pros and cons, and they are likely someone who is very hard on themselves and very introspective in that sense. So they're going to overanalyze the shit out of themselves. <laughs> they're going to be hard on themselves. So you have to help bolster them up and recognize the triumphs they are making because they're not going to recognize that. And they're the, the only dialogue in their mind is what they're not doing right. <laughs> so one line that you wrote back to me once in two and a half years was, uh, I don't know, six months in, and um, I, I don't know what the workout was. I could probably even go find the, the line. And I, I think you would throw shit at me that you would know that I would dive into and you'd set these goals that you knew that I was like, I'm going to tear that shit apart. And for whatever reason, maybe it was a bad day, maybe not, but I still think I beat your expectation and I was just down on myself about it. And this is not nutrition. It was it was a uh, personal training. And you just wrote back and you said, you're really hard on yourself. <laughs> And I was like, fuck, I am. And I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was some, I think it was like 25, 20, 15, 10 thrusters. I mean, it was some brutal workout and I either didn't get it done or whatever, but just that line, you're really hard on yourself. And I was like, oh, oh, you don't have to win everything. And by definition, you know, either you're winning or you're losing everything if you're doing it by yourself. So yes. <laughs> so that one line, it is interesting because you, when you say that about nutrition, it was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, chill. The process, the process is more important than the daily results. Yep. And yep. that is so hard for type A engineers to learn. 100%. So hard. But um, so is there anything that, that you want to tell us that... Um, you know, I didn't ask you about or, um, you know, masters related, not, um, you know, any, anything that uh, you would like to, to kind of dive into? I mean, not necessarily. I do think one observation I have made, and I haven't worked with, I've worked with a handful of masters athletes, but one thing I, I <laughs> recognize as a pattern is most have a history with endurance sports. And I don't know if it's something where it's like, hey, you're at, you know, you're at a stage in your life where, um, you know, you've gone through a competitive or a competitive training regimen or competitive training career, right? You had that constant. 
And then you probably realize that your body is beat down into the ground. You need something different, right? You can't pound the pavement. You can't do the miles that you did before. And now you're looking for another fix. And it's interesting to me. I do think there is something with the way that like the brain is wired in that sense. You know, I think so many in this, I mean this in the best way. So many masters athletes are just gluttons for punishment. They, they want, they want that feeling of, of what it was to train like, you know, back in the day and they get into a new modality and like, Oh, this is it. Like, this is, I can do this, you know, like, you know, yeah, there's aches and pains and setbacks here and there, but it's nothing like, you know, the miles that you guys were used to, because those are unfathomable to me. But I do, I do find that interesting. And, and there is, there is an underlying element of you guys holding yourselves to a higher standard when it comes to training frequency, when it comes to movement, when it comes to hitting target times that I have not seen in the other athletes that I've worked with that are in their thirties. Um, and I don't know, I don't necessarily know why, but it's, it's a great quality to have. <laughs> and it's, it's something that's, it's, it's truly a pleasure to work with because I feel like you working with you and the handful of others that I've worked with, seeing the bigger picture oftentimes isn't what happens in the beginning, but you guys are able to see the bigger picture at some point better than the other younger athletes that I've worked with. And I do think that probably just comes with life experience and having a different sense of your life's journey. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely a joy to work with. <laughs> so if people want to get hold of you for whatever reason, where can they find you? Um, I don't, I don't like have a website or cards. Some people will ask me about those things. Um, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and I obviously have a personal email, but I try to keep it simple. And, and, and what are those? I'll put them in the oh, yes. thing if you so, want me to. Um, actually, if you're interested, so my personal is mainly just pictures of my kids. So if you want pictures of a one and a half year old, it's um, at, on Instagram at Cheryl for show. You can find it wherever Ron's going to be posting it. Um, That's Cheryl F-A-S-H-O. Yes. Yes. Um, it's typically because I overuse the word for show. Um, yes, it's a joke. Yeah. I, I know this. <laughs> um, if I also am the one who posts content to um, outside the box, which is our uh, gym programming for people who work out at home. And I actually even have a few personal clients who will utilize this programming for travel workouts because it's so minimal in terms of what's needed. Um, so there will be some, you know, movement demonstrations, warm up videos and, and kind of fun, like, you know, home gym um, ideas there. If you guys want to check that out, it's outside the box dot fit on Instagram. Um, we're also on the internet at outside the box dot fit. If you add a www in front of that, um, we're 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 old, we're old Cheryl. We're not that old. <laughs> All right, Cheryl for show on Instagram and uh, outside the box dot fit online or also on Instagram. Cheryl, thanks. Uh, it's great to talk to you and uh, miss seeing you really do, but uh, really, really stoked to see where you're going. Oh yeah. Things. Missing you too, Ron. But luckily in this age of uh, the internet and social media, it does definitely help keep us all connected. So that's pretty awesome. That's, that's the good part of the connection. I, I still, you know, tons of people from the box that I still actually care about and uh, love seeing baby Jay get older. So <laughs> thank you so much. Talk, Talk to you later. later. Bye.